0: Welcome to the Bridge Online. We're so glad that you joined us today. And uh, matter of fact, we would love for you to get engaged. If you're here, we'd love for you to say hi to somebody on the chat, or uh, tell us where you're watching from, or or or, uh, be engaged. Feel free to engage throughout the whole talk. Uh, Make sure you're listening to me, but but feel free to engage uh, in the chat there on the window. We're glad that you're here with us. Uh, My name is Kurt. I'm one of the pastors here at the Bridge, and uh, we're we're kicking off a new series that we're calling Baby Monsters today. And and what we're doing is we're, we're looking at these things in our lives, like, like a, you have a baby monster and it seems harmless, right? But, but we know that baby monsters grow into big monsters and, and they quickly grow um, out of control. And so there's things in our lives that, that might seem innocent at first, they might seem like they're not a big deal, but when left unchecked, they'll get out of control. And so the, the through line throughout this, this whole series, um, it's a four-part series, and the through line throughout it all is that, that when we tolerate, they dominate. And, we'll, and we'll, see, we'll talk about a different monster in our lives every week. And when we tolerate them, they're going to dominate our lives. And today we're going to talk about the monster of pride. I know this isn't one that any of you guys struggle with, so, um, so hang with me. But um, pride, here, here's how I define pride. Pride is a, a high opinion of one's own dignity, importance, merit, or superiority. A high opinion of one's own dignity, importance, merit, or superiority. It's basically thinking too highly of yourself. um, Thinking of yourself as way more important than you really are. In Psalms 10, 4, it says this. It says, In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek God. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. You see what pride does is, is pride comes in and it pushes God out. The, the more we grow in pride, the less room we, have, we make for God in our lives. As pride increases, our, our intimacy, our, our love for God decreases. And here's another thing pride does. It leads to destruction. Proverbs sixteen eight says this, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before the, before the fall. That's where pride leads. It always does. And so the bottom line for today is when we tolerate pride, It leads to destruction that's where it ends that's where it inevitably ends when we don't kill it when we don't take care of it um, when we notice it when, when we see it pop up in our lives and we don't do anything about it it will lead to destruction whether that's in our marriage whether that's in our relationships whether that's in our finances whatever the category is wherever pride shows its ugly head when we don't take care of it it will lead to destruction So that's the bottom line for today. But what if there's a better way to live? What if there's a different, what if there's an alternative? And and there is, and Jesus shows us this alternative and it's the life of humility. And the definition of humility is this, it's a modest opinion of one's own importance. You see, it's just the opposite of pride. Where pride was this elevated opinion of your importance, humility is a modest opinion of your importance. And so here's what I want you to do. I, I, I'm going to free some people up today. I'm going I'm to uh, change your world today. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to repeat this statement after me. You'll see it on the screen right there. Here we go. I'm not that big of a deal. Say, say, now, I know half of you probably didn't even say it right there. So if you're sitting by somebody or, or you're around somebody, turn to somebody next to you and say it again. I'm not that big of a deal. Some of you spouses out there are like, thank you. I didn't ever think I'd hear him say that. Well, you're welcome. But, but isn't that the truth? Isn't that freeing to kind of say, hey, I'm not that big of a deal. I'm not that important. We live in an age of, of self-help and self-care and self-this and self-that. Well, the Bible teaches us to die to ourselves. That's where life is found. When we die to ourselves, when we, when we realize we're not that important. I'm not saying you're not valuable to God. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying you don't matter. Please don't hear that. You are valuable to God. He loves you. He he knows everything about you. He knitted you together in your mother's womb. He knows every hair on your head. You're very valuable to him. But in the grand scheme of things, we're not that big of a deal. The world does not revolve around us. But sometimes we live like that. And Jesus offers us a different way to live. In in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8, it describes Jesus. And this is a beautiful description of who Jesus is. Verse 5 says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Here's the description of Jesus. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. That's the life I wanna live. I wanna model my life after that. It says, in your relationships with one another, have that same mindset that Jesus had. I'm not that big of a deal. I'm not the most important person in every room. It's okay to live like that. It's hard to live like that, but it's okay to live like that. As a matter of fact, that's the life that Jesus is calling us to live. We're called to model our lives after Jesus. And he was a humble, obedient servant. And so what I want to do, I want to take the next few minutes and I want to look at what what does the life of pride look like? What does the life of humility look like? I want to kind of compare and contrast them. Okay, and I I kind of did it like this. Pride says this. Well, humility says this. Okay, so here's the first one. Pride Pride says it's all about me. And On the flip side, humility says it's not about me. I have a son, nine-year-old son named Carter, and back when he was four, probably right around four, um, we used to play baseball in the front yard all the time. we play, uh, matter of fact, we were looking at old videos just yesterday when I was uh, talking to my wife about this story, and um, there's a video of us playing in the rain, and he's hitting the ball and running around, and we're having a good time, and I remember one time and uh, this, this very clearly, remember this story about him. He, he looks at me and he says, hey, dad, you go, you pitch to me. Dad, you pitch. I said, okay. And he looks at my wife, Ginger, and he goes, hey, and mom, you stand right over there and you clap for me. That's your job. You stand over there and you clap for me. And so I would pitch the ball to Carter and he would hit it and he would run around these bases and he would slide into home and he would look right at his mom every time to make sure she's doing what? She's clapping for him cheering him on, giving him applause because he's the center of the show. He's in the stadium and everybody else is the audience watching him. How often do we live life like that? Like, like we're the center of attention and everybody else is here just to clap for us, just to, just to applaud us, just to, to talk about how great we are. We would never say stuff like that, but that's how we live our lives a lot of times. It's a funny story about my son, but, but it makes me think, how often do I live like I'm the center of attention? Like life is all about me. And on the flip side, instead of life being all about us, we should live our lives all about Jesus. Our lives should be centered around him. When people say, man, what's God's will for my life? His will for your life is that you would glorify him. That in all things you do, you would make much of Jesus. There's a verse in Psalms Psalm 1. it says this, it says, not to us, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name, be the glory because of your love and your faithfulness. God, I don't want the glory. I don't want my life to be all about bringing me glory. I want my life to be about bringing you glory because you're the one worthy of it. That's humility. That's what it looks like to walk in humility. The next one is this. Pride says, I don't care who I hurt. And humility says, how can I serve others? I don't care who I hurt versus how can I serve others. This is another one. We would never say it out loud. Like We don't, we don't just walk around saying, I want to hurt people. But, but think about how often our actions, because we're concerned with ourselves and we're concerned with our own agenda, our actions could actually hurt somebody else because we don't take the time to consider other people, and it happens all the time. I'm guilty of it. How do my actions affect other people? You see, in humility, we say, how can I serve other people? And we can do that in, in multiple ways. We can do that by, by the way we um, talk to people, by the way we love people. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, it says this. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, That means don't don't just try to get ahead in life. Don't try to advance your agenda in life. That's not how you're called to live life. It says, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. And it's hard to put other people in front of us sometimes. Like, I think about like uh, a trip I took to the Dominican Republic one time, and I got mad when I was in the buffet line, and there was a bunch of uh, foreigner, foreigners there. Uh, uh, I think they were mostly Russian people, and, and they would come and, and, and just cut me in line. And it's like, I didn't even want to give up my spot in the buffet line. Like, I don't want to put other people ahead of me a lot of times. But it's okay. I'm not that big of a deal. And when I live like that, when I'm secure in who I am in Jesus, it's easier for me to just say, it's okay. I can put other people first. God's going to take care of me. You know, a, a, a way that this could show up is, is also through things like gossip and slander. Like the, the life of pride... Um, can really show itself in gossip and slander. And what gossip is, is just um, you repeating information about people that could be true, could not, maybe it's not true, maybe it is true, it doesn't matter, uh, but, but you just repeating it in mixed company when, when you probably shouldn't be repeating it. And what slander is, is slander is you intentionally speaking falsely about somebody. And both of those, I think a lot of times we do that, and, and maybe you don't struggle with gossip, but, but it's, it's hard. I, I think so many times I'm like, man, am I gossiping right now? Like, I, I'm not intentionally doing it, but am I, am I talking about somebody right now? And why am I doing it? What is, what is the reason behind it and its pride? Because, in some small way in some in in some way we want to to maybe tear other people down or or make other people look not uh like they're not as good as as they are or whatever because it makes us feel better about ourselves or it makes other people think higher of us and so you when, when you're when your coworkers are are standing around in the in the break room or when you're um when you're at you know, at a baseball game and you're sitting in the stands with other parents and, and, and you're tempted to start talking bad about other people, just think about it. Why, why am I doing that? What's the purpose of that? Instead of talking bad about them, we should, we should build others up with our words. In, in Ephesians 4.29, it says, do not, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit all those who listen. That's what a humble life does. It looks for ways to serve in actions and in our words. How can we serve and build other people up instead of um, hurting them and tearing them down? The next one is this. Uh, Pride says you offended me and humility says I forgive you. Pride says, you offended me, and humility says, I forgive you, and and I'm not talking about like the cancel culture type, uh, uh, you offended me, you know, where everything's just easily offended. That's not what I'm talking about. Uh, I'm talking about more like uh, when somebody says something or does something to you, and they they probably didn't even do it intentionally. You just take it so personally. For me, I'll tell you where I struggle with this. I struggle with this driving. Like, I, I I feel like, for me, it's really hard to be a Christian and drive at the same time. I, I don't know. Like, maybe I'm alone in that. I don't know. But it's really hard. I feel like the worst of me comes out in the car when I'm driving. I get so mad at other people, and it's like, people don't even care what I'm doing. They don't, they don't care about me, but I take everything personally. Somebody cuts me off. They did it on purpose. Somebody gets in front of me and, and, and goes slower than I was going. They did it on purpose. I get mad at them. Like, why am I so easily offended? I remember I, I remember I used to ride around with my mom in the car, and she was, she was driving, and, and, and my mom was the complete opposite of that. My mom would just go carefree about her day, just driving along, and I'm sitting in the passenger seat, and I'm thinking, Mom, Mom, you know there's another lane. Like, you know you can pass this, this guy driving. So, but she didn't care. She didn't get offended. She, somebody cut her off. It's, she just kept singing to the song she was singing to. It didn't bother her. She wasn't easily offended. And this could come across in, in, in many things, not just driving, but when somebody sends you an email and you, you maybe misinterpret it because it's written communication and you just automatically think the worst, or a text message, we're just so easily offended. And there's a verse that I want to go to in Proverbs 19.11. It says this, a person's insight gives him patience, and his virtue is to overlook an offense. I love that. It's it's a virtue to overlook an offense. I tell you, I saw this played out this uh, recently with Alex Baez. Alex is our executive pastor here at the Bridge, and um, there there were two different times. In two different times, he was um, in communications with somebody. Uh, one of them was was uh, in person, out loud. I just overheard it. Uh, somebody said something to him. In in, in I mean, it was. Um, pretty combative. It was pretty inappropriate. And honestly, if they said it to me like that, I I would have been offended. I would have gotten mad. I would have been real defensive. But I saw Alex handle it differently. I saw Alex handle it with grace and humility. And he responded in grace and humility, and it diffused the situation. And it was fine. And then the second time was on a group text. Him and I and some other guys were on a group text, and uh, somebody said something to him. And again, I, I would have jumped back and fired back and been like, man, why are you coming at me like that? but he didn't. He handled it with grace and humility and just responded kindly and, and, and the situation was diffused again. That's a, that's a real life example of how to live um, a life of humility where instead of saying, you offended me, just saying, I forgive you. Because most of the time, people don't even know they hurt you and you're just getting offended for nothing. Ephesians four thirty-two says this, it says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. You know, I think we quickly forget how much we've been forgiven by God. I think, we, I think it's easy for us to forget that, and when we remember how much God has forgiven us, it's easier for us to offer that same grace and forgiveness to other people. That's the life of humility. The next one is this. Pride says, uh, that would never happen to me. Humility says, I'm capable of any bad choice. This is one I don't think many people think about or associate with pride. But, but I, I won't, listen to me as I, as I flesh this out for you. I, I, don't, I don't think anybody wakes up one day and says, hey, you know what? Today I'm going to be an alcoholic. I just, I just don't think that happens. I don't, I don't think anybody wakes up and says, hey, you know, today I'm going um, to have an affair and I'm going to ruin my family. I don't think that happens. I don't think anybody says, hey, today I'm gonna to steal from my company and probably end up in jail. That, that that sounds like a good plan for today. That's that's not the way it happens. The way it happens is over time we slowly make choices, we slowly make decisions that that, that start off you thinking, oh, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal. And 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 we use phrases like, ah, oh, it's not gonna hurt anybody. It's it's just a little flirting. It's, it's, just, it's just looking. It's not touching. It's not doing anything. Who's it going to hurt? Every, everybody's doing it. Come on. It's not a big deal. And we use phrases like that to justify these, these, wrong, these wrong decisions that we're making, wrong decision after wrong decision, because we think, oh, I would never do anything. I would never do blank. I would never go that far. But the people that do go that far, they don't just wake up and decide to go that far. It's one small decision after another small decision and they become desensitized to, to, to the small things and then they lead to bigger things and it's a snowball and it spirals out of control. And I don't think we think about that as pride, but, but that's pride saying that, man, I can handle this. I'd never do that. You don't, you don't, oh, that's other people, they're weaker than me. I'm strong enough. I'm smart enough, I'm good enough, it's never going to happen to me. And that's a lie. There's a verse in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11 and 12, it it says, um, These things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. And what that's talking about is before these verses, um, it, it lists the Israelites' sins. It lists the Israelites' idolatry and the mistakes they had made in their lives. And, and, and it says these are written as warnings to us. And listen to verse 12. It says this, If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. It could happen to any of us. And it's foolish and it's prideful to think that it can't happen to you, that, that you don't need to trust in Jesus and, and be close to him and remain close to him so you can walk in a pure life, in, in a humble life, in the life God calls you to live. We need him. We need to be dependent on him. We can't do it on our own. And it's foolish to think that we can. And that really leads me into the, to the last one, and it's this. that Pride says, I'm good enough. And humility says Jesus is enough. You see, we, it's easy for us to become uh, self-righteous. It's easy for us to be to to start thinking that that we have it all together, and we start looking down at other people. We start looking at the decisions they make, and we start sticking our nose up at it and be like, "Man, how could they do that?" There's a story that Jesus tells. It's in the it's in the book of Luke and. Um, Chapter 18, and I, I, I want to walk through this story and listen to this, and and don't and don't just be so quick to to um, look at the Pharisee in this story and say, man, I can't believe he could do that. Instead, think of ways that maybe you've done this in your life. It says Jesus told the story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, the cheaters, the sinners, the adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector over there. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. We read that and we're like, man, like this guy's in there just beating his chest. He's like, God, I thank you that I'm not like those sinners, like look at me, God, look at me, look at all this good that I've done. And then here's the tax collector, it says, but the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, oh God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. I tell you this sinner and not the Pharisee returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Which, which one of those people in the story sounds more like you? Like Do you, do you sometimes um, become proud of the, um, the, the good stuff you do, the, the religious stuff that you do, and you sometimes uh, start to take credit for, for things that, that you shouldn't be taking credit for? Or do you recognize the sin in your life? Do you recognize the need for a savior? Do you recognize that your salvation really had nothing to do with you? In a familiar passage in Ephesians 2:8-9 says, "God saved you by His grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so that none of us can boast about it. So that none of us can boast about it. I want to tell you something." And, and, and I think you know this, but I want to remind you and I have to remind myself, I didn't do anything to earn God's love. I didn't do anything to earn salvation. God loves me and he freely uh, sent his son Jesus to die on a cross to pay for my sins so that I can have a relationship with him. I didn't do anything there. I didn't do anything to earn that. I could never be good enough No matter how much my pride wants to tell me, you're good enough, you're good enough, you're good enough, I could never be good enough. But Jesus is. And he willingly laid down his life so that we could have a relationship with God. I think the more we grow in our relationship with God, the more we understand how messed up we really are. I think that's how it works. Like That's why you see Paul, the Apostle Paul, who, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, a guy that was the greatest missionary ever. He probably, he, he's probably the reason more people know Jesus than anybody else in history. And yet in, in, in the book of 1 Timothy, he says, hey, I'm, I'm the chief of sinners. G- Jesus came to save sinners, and I'm the, I'm the worst of the worst. Paul would probably be a saint compared to most of us. He probably squeaky clean compared to most of us, but he recognized as he grew closer and closer to Jesus, he recognized more and more his need for a Savior. Man, I pray that you would experience that fresh this morning or whenever you're listening to this. We're all messed up. We've all sinned and fallen way short of God's perfect standard, but Jesus, he's good enough and he made a way. It takes humility to come to know him. It's a moment of humility. It's a, it's a moment of surrender when you come to know Jesus. That's Matthew 5 when Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you were with us last week, Kenny talked about this verse, blessed meaning um, the, the makarios, where it's, it's uh, uh, abundant, abundantly happy, abundantly satisfied. That's what that word means. Abundantly satisfied are those that are poor in spirit. That word poor means bankrupt. It means completely helpless, like like beggar. I'm a beggar. I'm, I'm, I'm poor in spirit. I realize my need for a Savior. And at that moment, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is yours. It takes humility to come to know him. And then we're invited to walk in that same humility in a relationship with him. So when we see the, the what, what pride says versus what humility says, let me ask you, where, where do you see yourself? Like Where do you see yourself on there? Because if you're anything like me, as, as I was preparing this message, it wasn't very much fun because I saw just how much pride I have in my life. And it, the, the Holy Spirit was, was nudging me. And I hope he's been nudging you today just, just in showing you. Like when I said something, maybe there was something in your life that he was like, yeah, you struggle with that. And maybe some of you are sitting there thinking, no, I really don't have any pride. Well, you just joined the club. So <laughs> welcome to the club. Now you do. We all struggle with it. We all struggle with it. And so the question is, what do we do? And I, and I got three words for you, and they all start with an R, and this is, this is an invitation for you to respond in this way. I, I started with the R so you can remember all three of them. And the first one is simply to recognize. Recognize the sin of pride in your life. Recognize where it shows its head. Maybe, maybe it was something I didn't even talk about, but you know you struggle with pride in a, in a certain area of your life. Recognize it. The second one is to, to repent, which simply means to agree with God about your sin and to turn from it. This is where we kill the baby monsters. This is where we, we kill the sin in our lives when it's small, when we, can, when we can, when we can do something about it before it's caused destruction in our lives. That's what it means to repent, to, to, to agree with God and to turn from it. So we recognize it, we repent, and then the third one is just to run. Run. Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Run to Jesus where his grace abounds and his mercy abounds. And and he's not mad at you. He He invites you to come to him. Listen to this verse. This is the last verse I want to share with you. Matthew 11, 28 and 29. This is Jesus' invitation to all of us this morning. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Verse 29, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. It's like the oxen, right? They're yoked together. And this is the idea that you're yoked with Jesus. And he says, and learn from me. Learn how to live life the way I want you to live life. Learn how to live the humble life that I modeled for you. That's what what the invitation is for you this morning. Come to Jesus and let him teach you how to live this life of humility. And I want you to listen to the next part because this is the only time in the, in, in the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which, which uh, talk about the life of Jesus. This is the only time that Jesus describes who he is at his core. And I, I want you to hear how Jesus describes himself. He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. At the core of who Jesus is, that's what it means, um, gentle and humble in heart. He means at the core of who I am. I'm gentle and I'm humble. What an awesome invitation. And and I wanna offer you, if, if you've never trusted in Jesus, if you've never trusted in him as your savior, I wanna offer you that opportunity this humble and gentle Savior that came and willingly laid down his life for you. I wanna offer you that opportunity and you can just repeat after me this prayer. And there's no magic to these words. It's just you just surrendering your heart to Jesus. God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that, God, that even though in the midst of my sin and, and, and the wrong that I've done in my life, that Jesus died on the cross to save me from those sins to pay the price that I couldn't pay. I believe in that, I trust in that, and I trust that he rose from the dead three days later so that we could experience life, so that we could have victory over death, we could have eternal life in you. Today, in the best way I know how, I surrender my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen.